Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Guess what, Mango? What's that, Will? Oh, come on, Gabe. You've been working on your Mango impression for, what, a week now, knowing he's going on vacation? I I, I think we're just going to have to be honest here and admit that this is you. (laughs) All right, you're right. I should just be myself, I guess. All right, well, we'll explain where Mango is in a minute, but let's get back to it. Guess what, Gabe? What's that, Will? Are you any good at Frisbee? Uh, I mean, I don't know. I guess I'm decent. Well, it's something I thought I was pretty good at until I was suddenly around people who were really good at it. Now, you know, we didn't have anything like Ultimate Frisbee Leagues growing up in Alabama, and Frisbee was mainly just something you threw at the beach. But in one of our first weekends on campus in college, there was a field day for students, you know, to get to know each other. And the Ultimate Frisbee team was there just demonstrating and recruiting people to sign up. And I remember watching them and being amazed at how good they were at this whole thing, you know, doing that whole like forward wrist flicking throw with such ease. It was something I honestly had never really even tried before. I, I just thought there was like this one accepted and universal way to throw a Frisbee, you know, the, the backhanded way that most people throw. And it was in this moment I realized I know nothing. You know, like this is what college is for. Right. Yeah. That alone seems to justify the tuition bills, right? Well, and it wasn't the only thing that I learned that day. Oh, yeah. What else you learned? Well, there was that hour of vigorous slip and sliding. And I learned that that will leave you nearly incapable of walking for a couple of days because of the soreness. But the thing I didn't learn until recently is that both of those life lessons wouldn't have been possible without the tiny toy company Whammo. It really is amazing how much the marketing genius of two people had such an incredible influence on the industry and the lives of children across America, of course. So that's what we're talking about today. Let's dive in. Hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to Part-Time Genius. I'm Will Pearson, and for the first time ever, I am not joined by my good friend Mangesh Hatikader. Instead, I am in luck because we have our pal Gabe Luzier on the line with me today. 
Yeah, we're we're really in uncharted territory on this one, but we'll see how it goes. Yeah, well, well, thankfully, on the other side of the soundproof glass, I have one bit of constancy that I can depend on in this ever-changing world, and that's our friend and producer, Tristan McNeil. Now, Mango's just on vacation, so don't worry, listeners. He's off for a few days with his family. We're happy that he's enjoying his vacation. It'll be good to have him back. But, Gabe, it's nice to have you joining me today. Thank you. I'm happy to be here, yeah. Now, for today's show, because we knew Gabe would be sitting in, we wanted to find a topic that really spoke to him. And and because he's an avid toy collector himself, we decided to go ahead and make an episode all about the Whammo Toy Company. Now, most listeners are probably familiar with at least a few of Whammo's products. You've got the Hula Hoop and the Slip and Slide, the Super Ball, and of course, the Frisbee. So today we'll have some fun exploring the history of these famous toys, and we'll also try to get a sense of how toys that started as disposable novelties became these time-tested icons of playtime. You know, for example, I don't know if you knew this or not, Gabe, but there's actually a National Toy Hall of Fame, and Whammo has not one but two of its toys inducted at this point, and that's the Frisbee and the Hula Hoop. Yeah, that's super impressive, and... I actually, I did know that, uh, but only because the Hall of Fame has, yeah, it's been something of a sore point for me for a few years now. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. It's a really cool thing. The Toy Hall of Fame was established by uh, the Strong National Museum of Play in New York. And it was something they started in 2008 as just a way to recognize, you know, classic toys that have inspired decades of creative play at this point. All right. So I'm a little confused by this. So what's your beef with the Toy Hall of Fame then? <laughs> okay. Well, I admit I'm a little biased on this one, but every year, Transformer toys make it to the final round of voting, and every year, the committee passes them up. And meanwhile, you know, kind of generic stuff like the cardboard box and blankets, they get inducted with ease. (laughs) And I mean, last year, for example, Transformers, again, made it all the way to the final round, and then it got beat out by paper planes. Paper planes, Will! Wait, I mean, but you were saying, you said cardboard box and blankets. Do you, do you mean literally just like blankets have been inducted into the Toy Hall of Fame? Yeah, I guess it's like a pretty loose term, you know, toys. They're a little loose with what they'll include with it. But, uh, you know, everybody plays with a empty cardboard box or a blanket at some point. So I guess they count. I don't know. That may make sense because paper planes go back to ancient China, I think. And I don't know. It feels like maybe we shouldn't steal a spot from them. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. No, that's a fair point. And, you know, respect your elders and all that, toy elders. And really, you know, if there is one thing that all 65 of the current toy inductees have in common, it's that kind of staying power that you're talking about. I mean, these things have been around for, you know, a long time. Paper planes, blankets. Which just makes it extra impressive to me that a couple novelty toys from what began as this tiny regional company have already made the cut. I mean, if you look at the list... Wemo's really a standout in that regard. I mean, there are plenty of generic toys that can't really be ascribed to a single company. You've got things like teddy bears and marbles, and you know, there are also lots of toys from the, the heavy-hitting companies like Hasbro. You know, you've got things like G.I. Joe and Monopoly, so n- none of those are really big surprises. But, you know, aside from the Frisbee and the Hula Hoop, there really isn't much of a showing from the small-time toy makers out there. Yeah, you're right. That's actually something I noticed, too, while looking at the list. I mean, it's pretty crazy that, you know, Frisbee and Hula Hoop, those were primarily thought of as fad toys when they were first released. I mean, you know, Hula Hoops hit hard when they debuted in the spring of 1958. The company sold something like 25 million of them in just a couple months. Holy cow. Yeah. But by the fall of that same year, sales had already dried up and it seemed like the Hula craze was gone just as quickly as it had come. Fast forward, though, 
And the hula hoop eventually went on to become, you know, the first toy to ever sell more than a hundred million units. And plenty of kids still play with them today, which is something that nobody would have predicted back then. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you don't really see that many toy fads with, with those kinds of legs. I mean, think about the fidget spinners of the past year or so. They were gone with what? A couple of months after that. I mean, you still see some of them, but it's right. still not nearly what it was there for a few months. Yeah, no, thankfully that, uh, that seems to have already passed. But, uh, so what do you think is something, you know, special about Whammo's toys? Like what helps them, you know, transcend the limited lifespan that seems to define all the other fad toys out there? Well, I mean, honestly, if you don't know as the toy specialist of the two of us, I definitely don't know. <laughs> but, um, but we wanted to take a closer look at, at how the company got its start. So, Maybe that'll help us pinpoint some of that whammo difference. So do you, do you want to start us off here, Gabe? Yeah, okay. In that case, we have to start with some background on, you know, the company's founders, uh, Richard Nur and Arthur Spuds Mellon. And, uh, these guys were both born in 1925 and they actually both became salesmen at a really early age. Uh, Nur built and sold rubber band guns when he was nine years old and Mellon caught and sold fish door to door around the same time. So naturally, when these two entrepreneurs met years later while attending the University of Southern California, they hit it off and decided to go into business together pretty much right away. Hmm. And at first, the pair, you know, they weren't set on being a toy company at all. Instead, they just started looking for products they could easily sell out of their garage. And one of the very first ideas that came up was a homemade slingshot that the pair had designed and built themselves. Well, I mean, wouldn't you say that that a slingshot uh, is a toy as well, right? Well, yeah, I mean, it definitely can be. But Nur and Mellon's slingshot was actually made to fire bits of meat upward at falcons. So, you know, maybe not so much uh, a toy in this case. But apparently they were both really big into falconry. And uh, the slingshot was something they used to help train their birds. Wow. I would say that a, a falcon feeding slingshot, that that to me seems like the definition of a niche product. I don't know about you, but... So did, did they make any money selling something like that out of a garage? Oh, yeah. You know, just uh, most of their customers were people who had happened to wander by the garage with their pet falcon. And Right, of course. Right. No, no. Uh, they actually sold them through the mail by taking out ads in Field and Stream and a few other magazines aimed at outdoorsmen. And not only did the slingshot give the company its first sales, it provided the company name, too. Whammo was uh, meant to evoke the sound that the founders heard when they tested their slingshot by firing uh, ball bearings at a target. Oh, wow. I actually never knew that. Well, hopefully the targeting question at this point wasn't the Falcons. I mean, <laughs> was it? <laughs> no, no, no way. They love those birds too much. But anyway, Whammo stayed in the projectiles game for a few years after that before venturing into toys. And beyond slingshots, they sold blowguns, tomahawks, throwing knives, fencing swords, and also something they referred to as a jungle machete. Right, of course, you know, for the kids to enjoy, right? <laughs> right. Actually, definitely not. But Nur and Mellon did make good money this way. They racked up as much as $100,000 in annual revenue during these early days as weapons makers. Well, that would have been a ton of money at that point. So I'm curious, though, when did they make this switch from selling weapons to selling toys? Well, that's the thing. At first, they tried not to switch at all. They just sold both. So Whammo was a small operation with no board of directors or shareholders to answer to. So this meant Nur and Mellon were free to pursue any product idea they wanted, whether weapons, toys, or anything else. And later, when it became clear that the two sides of the business were at odds with each other, you know, weapons and toys, they even mm -hmm. tried splitting the market and selling the weapons under the name Whammo without the H. 
<laughs> that's different enough, right? That's just so clear. I love how it sounds exactly the same, but taking out an H was somehow going to differentiate those. Right. I was going to make the difference. Surprisingly, it didn't. People didn't go for the idea at all. And, you know, the weapons were eventually phased out completely and they just focused on toys. But it wasn't just the creative freedom of being your own boss that inspired Nur and Mellon to get into the toy business. In the mid-1950s, they were both taken with the relatively recent innovation of plastic injection molding. And this was a new medium that came as really a revelation to the traditionally wooden toy industry. And the guys at Whammo were eager to see what they could do with it. And their first chance at bat came in 1957 with the Frisbee. And needless to say, I mean, you know, it was a home run for them. Yeah, I would say pretty much right out of the gate. Now, we should point out, though, that the guys at Whammo weren't the inventors of the Frisbee. And in fact, something I came across a few times while doing the research for this episode is that Nur and Millen weren't so much inventors as they were re-inventors, I guess you could say. Yeah, no, that sounds right. I mean, they definitely didn't invent the slingshot or the blowgun, but they did find the right approach for introducing those things to the mainstream American market. Right. And so it, it pretty much went the same way with the Frisbee. I mean, the idea of throwing around this flat flying disc, you, you can look back and see that goes all the way back to, you know, ancient Greece with the idea of throwing a discus at that point. But, you know, for the modern incarnation, we can look back to, I want to say it's about 1937. And that's when a 17 year old named Fred Morrison and his girlfriend were playing a game of catch with a lid from a popcorn tin. And apparently they had such a good time with this that they started looking for something more durable to throw around. And that's when they came across one of Fred's mom's pie tins. And this quickly became the pair's go-to disc. In fact, it was actually this disc that they were playing with on a beach when a passerby noticed how much fun they were having. And so the guy stopped and asked Fred if he would actually be willing to sell the pie tin for about a quarter. And of course, since it had cost him a lot less than that to buy brand new, Fred happily agreed to do this. And soon after that encounter, Fred set to work on these what he called flying cake pans. He started <laughs> selling them all along the beaches of Southern California. Oh, man, that's awesome. But all right. So this is still the 30s and Waymo didn't take notice until the 50s. So what? I mean, did Morrison just sell cake pans on the beach for the next 20 years? Well, not exactly. I mean, Fred's beachside business was put on hold during World War II, and he was serving overseas as a fighter pilot at the time. But all the while, he kept thinking about how to improve these flying discs that he and his girlfriend, who was was then his wife at this point, had had so much fun playing with. And by the time the war ended, Fred had come up with an answer. And he found that by adding a sloped edge, his disc would fly better and stay in the air longer, too. And so today, that same slope that you see on these Frisbees, it's on all of Whammo's Frisbees, at least. And that's known as Morrison's Slope in Fred's honor. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. Well, I mean, and speaking of names, when did the name Frisbee come along? Was it with Morrison's new post-war model? Actually, the Frisbee proper was still a few years off at this point. But Fred did try a few different names in the meantime, you know, hoping to take advantage of the growing space craze at the time. He dubbed his new disc the Pluto Platter for a while. And <laughs> You know, once he was armed with this far catchier brand name, Fred was traveling up and down the California coast, selling these Pluto platters and just doing this out of the back of his station wagging at the beaches and at local fairs. And so then he fast forward to 1955 and he had pretty modest sales at that point, but he was selling some of these and it caught the attention of the Whammo founders. And so they, of course, quickly snapped up the rights and released their own plastic version of the Pluto platter. This was in 1957 within a year, they'd sold a million of these discs. I mean, that's really impressive to have sold that. No, definitely that quickly. 
So Whammo kept Morrison's space name at first? I mean, not to beat a dead horse, but when did it finally switch to Frisbee? And come to think of it, why did it switch to Frisbee? I mean, both of the earlier names seem to be, you know, much more descriptive of the actual, you know, product, Pluto, Platter, and I mean, that at least you know what that is. What's a Frisbee? Right, right. Well, and this is where things get a little bit more muddled, and so we kind of have to go on legend. And uh, according to this legend, Nur and Mellon were taken with Fred's disc in part because they had recently taken a trip to New England. And while on that trip, they'd seen some Yale students who were playing catch with pie pans that they'd gotten from this local place. It was called the Frisbee Baking Company. Hmm. And the students would take the empty pans from the dining hall and toss them back and forth while yelling Frisbee, you know, to kind of warn people of incoming pans. And the practice supposedly dates as far back as the 1920s, and it was pretty common in both Connecticut and New York. But that said, Whammo's own website admits that the founders might just as easily have been inspired by this comic strip of the era that was called Mr. Frisbee. So we don't really know, but whatever the reason, Whammo relaunched their flying disc under the name Frisbee in 1958, it immediately caught on at playgrounds and college campuses all over the country. Huh. Well, see, I asked about it because I'm just always so impressed when a company, you know, pulls a name out of thin air that just perfectly encapsulates a product, despite the fact that it's, you know, kind of nonsensical and doesn't have any direct connection to what they're selling, you know, like Apple or BlackBerry. I read an interesting article in The New Yorker uh, actually about this company called Lexicon which is a firm that invents names for new products. Yeah, I've heard of these guys. Yeah, well, the CEO had a really great insight about what makes for a good product name. He said that the best brand name functions like a poem. They compress all these various meanings and associations into a single pleasing word, and it just somehow sums it all up. Well, that's pretty interesting. You know, and the guys at Whammo must have felt strongly that they had the right name for the job because they actually had to change the spelling of Frisbee from what was at first an ending of IE to EE in order to, you know, kind of make it more unique and, and give it this, you know, this feel of this nonsense word that they could actually trademark from there. And of course, the funny thing is that these days, everybody just kind of loosely calls any flying disc a Frisbee. <laughs> right. Which is something that Whammo hates, I'm sure. Right. Because anytime a brand name, you know, gets popular like that, it runs the risk of becoming genericized. In some ways, going generic is, you know, the biggest compliment a company can get because it means that they picked a really resonant name for their product. But on the other hand, becoming the de facto term makes it harder to defend your own trademark. And my favorite example of this is Transformers, which, yes, I'm bringing up for a second time today. Can't let it go, Gabe. Can't let it go. In order to keep their brand name from becoming the catch-all term for any toy that transforms from one thing into another... Hasbro is careful to never use the word transform on their packaging. Huh. Instead, the figures are said to convert from one form to another, completely different. Right. And that way, the name remains connected to their specific characters, you know, the Transformers, instead of becoming a description for a whole class of toys that happen to include transformation as a play feature. I mean, it is interesting that they have to think about that kind of thing, but it makes sense. But all right, well, we should get back to the Whammo toys because the Frisbee really was just the start for them. But before we do, let's take a quick break. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. 
Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit AT&T.com slash hypergig for details. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. You're listening to Part-Time Genius, and we're talking about Whammo, you know, this fledgling toy company that sparked America's novelty craze in the 1950s. All right, Gabe, so we talked about how the founders of Whammo were always on the hunt for these offbeat ideas to turn into new products, and you know, the Frisbee was just the first of these to hit the toy market. And I'm curious, as a toy freak, what is your favorite thing that Whammo's ever made? Okay, well, first of all, toy enthusiast would be the preferred nomenclature. No, Thank my, you very my, much. My bad, my bad. <laughs> but to answer your question, I've always been partial to the hula hoop, uh, though really that's only in theory. Like, I, I don't think I could spin one to save my life, but I'm all about the idea of the hula hoop, you know? The idea. So what is that exactly? Like, let go and look silly? Or what's the idea of the hula hoop? <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, that's pretty much it. Like, did you ever see that Coen Brothers movie, uh, The Hudsucker Proxy? Yeah, it was funny. Yeah, well, for anybody who hasn't, it was this uh, fictionalized account of how the hula hoop and the Frisbee were invented. And the whole thing is, you know, really silly, as you would hope. But there's this great line about the hula hoop from the inventor's secretary that I always think back to. And she says, quote, finally... There would be a thingamajig that would bring everyone together, even if it kept them apart spatially. <laughs> I had forgotten that quote, actually. But it's true, too. I mean, like the hula hoop whipped the whole country into this frenzy when it came out in 1958. And just about everybody, girls and boys, children, adults, they, they were united by this simple joy of trying to see how long they could keep a plastic hoop spinning around their waist. And You'd already mentioned the crazy sales that Hula Hoop pulled in, but it really is hard to overstate just how big of a hit this was with the American public. I was actually flipping through a book called American Fads by social historian named Richard A. Johnson. And one thing he points out is that the Hula Hoop was the first modern fad in a way, because it was the first to spread through this new medium of television. 
And really because of that, the hula hoop is still, according to Johnson, quote, the standard against which all national crazes are measured. Wow. Yeah, that seems true. And I mean, you know, that success, it also highlights how there's really no rhyme or reason to what can or can't become a toy fad in America. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, the hula hoop was inspired by this uh, bamboo hoop that Australian kids used to exercise with in gym class. And a friend of the Whammo founders, you know, brought one back from vacation and pitched it to the company as a possible product. So, all right, so one country's gym equipment became another's biggest toy craze or what? <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, Nur and, uh, and Mellon, they, they saw the potential right away, just as they had with Fred Morrison's Pluto Platter. But, you know, they also recognized that it wasn't exactly an original idea, like we were saying. Hoop toys, like flying discs, have a long history. You know, they go back to ancient times. Like, I'm pretty sure the Egyptians had their own version made from, uh, like, these twisted reeds. Mm -hmm. And uh, this meant that securing a patent for Whammo, it was unlikely. So the toy makers instead, they shifted focus to finding the perfect name so that they could at least get a trademark for it. And it took some brainstorming. But once they made the connection between the hip gyrations of the hula hoop and those of Hawaiian dance moves, the rest was history. Well, and, you know, listening to you lay it all out here, I I'm noticing that Whammo borrowed a technique from Fred Marson's playbook on this one. And you, know, you remember when he came up with the Pluto Platter name as a way to capitalize on that space craze. Yeah, sure. I mean, Whammo was doing this with the hula hoop. I mean, it kind of does the same thing with the whole exotic getaway, you know, this Polynesian pop trend that really took off. I guess it was probably around the late 50s that this was exploding, right? Yeah, yeah, no, that's a good point. And I mean, you know, there's no denying it's a great name, right? I mean, yeah. the alliteration, the fun vowel sounds, it's like the total package in terms of brand name. And again, this is all stuff that naming experts now cite as the makings of a strong brand name. For example, the word hula was a safe bet to use because it follows a consonant vowel consonant pattern, which gives it a soft, pleasant sound. And since those are also the easiest kinds of letter combinations to pronounce, they're usually the first that infants learn to say, no matter which language they speak. Yeah, that makes sense. In fact, my, my kids' first words were, get this, they were Gatorade and Amazon. So there, <laughs> there, there were a lot of mixed emotions in, in both of those cases. Yeah, you must be proud. I mean, yeah, there you go. It works, right? But uh, aside from the catchy name, Hula Hoop also benefited from an elaborate and unorthodox marketing campaign. For instance, Whammo held publicity events at California playgrounds to demonstrate how fun the toy was. And they even handed out free hoops so that kids could, you know, advertise to their friends who had missed out on the freebies. Well, you know, and even if the hula craze went belly up a few months after going to market, it still gave Whammo this this national exposure. And it had never dreamed of having this kind of exposure when they were just, you know, these regional toy makers. And so you know, to make the most of this newfound buzz, Whammo relaunched the Pluto Platter as the Frisbee, and that was in 1958. And so this time, the toy company played up this athletic angle and even developed the sport of ultimate Frisbee. And this was a way to drum up interest among other athletes. Huh. And so the plan involved paying college kids to throw the discs around on campus, and it was a huge success. You know, Frisbee went on to become Whammo's best-selling product to date, actually. Yeah, and Whammo really trended upward after that for a long time. Like, they held fast to their open-door policy, you know, happily taking product pitches from pretty much all comers. Mm. And in the early 60s, the practice paid off for them again when a chemist named Norm Stingley, he brought Whammo a highly volatile chemical compound that actually later became the Super Bowl. 
Yeah. And uh, according to Richard Nur, it took us nearly two years to iron out the kinks of Super Bowl before we produced it. It always had that marvelous springiness, a 92% recovery rate after hitting a hard surface, far beyond that of any other ball. But it had a tendency to fly apart. We've licked that with a very high-pressure technique for forming it, and now we're selling millions. <laughs> I'm not exactly sure what a 92% recovery rate after hitting a <laughs> hard surface means, but uh, he, he doesn't seem like a, exactly a humble guy, was he? Well, not so much, no. But, I mean, he was honest. Whammo sold 6 million Super Bowls when they debuted in 1965. Wow. And by the end of the decade, those sales had surpassed 20 million. At the height of production, Whammo was making 170,000 Super Bowls each day. Hmm. And they were so popular that President Johnson's national security advisor, he actually ordered five dozen of them and gave them out to his staff to use as stress relievers. Wow, I'd say that's a pretty ringing endorsement. So Whammo started to rack up the successes in the late 50s and early 60s. But, I mean, let's be honest about this. They weren't all winning ideas. I mean, these are fun to talk about. And even some of the ones that were hits turned out to be a bit of trouble in the long run. I mean, just just look at the slip and slide. Oh, yeah. I mean, there are just so many horror stories out there about kids getting, like, nasty friction burns from sliding across too little water or... You know, people who tore up their backs by sliding over a rough patch of dirt or a hidden rock. Slip and slide was no joke. Yeah, and, and honestly, all those stories of injuries just make me feel bad for the guy who invented the slip and slide. Because if you look at the origin story, that was exactly the kind of thing he was trying to prevent in the first place. And I, I know that may sound weird, but the inventor's name was Robert Carrier. And he was this upholsterer who just wanted to make an activity called body planing a little bit safer. Okay, wait, what is body planing exactly? I have to be honest, I had no idea until doing the research for this episode, <laughs> but and I couldn't find a ton of information on this, but according to Carrier, body planing was a popular pastime in some circles. It basically consisted of hurling yourself into shallow water <laughs> and then sliding along a slick coating of mud, which which kind of sounds fun. It does, yeah. I mean, it kind of just sounds like a naturally occurring slip and slide, right? And and that's pretty much what it is. But, you know, the problem was that body planning was pretty dangerous and also just kind of a hassle. Hmm. As Carrier put it in his patent filing, quote, the primary disadvantages with the ideal natural environments for body planing and sliding are first, the scarcity of such places. Second, the fact that mud and clay frequently carry sharp and abrasive materials, which are dangerous. <laughs> and third, such material is extremely messy and generally distasteful or unpleasant. Oh, man, talk about thorough. That is that is quite a description. But I mean, he really took his body planing seriously, it sounds like. Yeah. And he just wanted to give people a way to enjoy sliding on a thin layer of water without all the mud and sharp, pointy objects that had given body planing such a limited appeal, you know, and, and that was kind of the dream whammo could get behind. Well, yeah, I mean, but for all their enthusiasm, you know, they sure went about marketing it in a weird way. Like, I found this one early ad for uh, Slip and Slide where the tagline was just, it's crazy. People scoot like seals. I saw that. I love that line. You know, actually, at, at one point, the announcer assures viewers that, quote, girls slide as well as boys, you know, in case that needed clarifying for some reason. <laughs> yeah. Nice to know Whammo was, uh, you know, so progressive on the hot button issue of equal opportunity sliding. But, exactly. Yeah. And just think, this was how they marketed the successful toys. Like, can you imagine what they came up with for the duds? 
Well, actually, we should stop imagining this. I mean, I think we should take a little time to highlight some of the more ridiculous failed ventures that Whammo has tried over the years. And, and some of them are just too bad to stay forgotten, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that sounds like a lot of fun. But first, let's take a quick break. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Okay, Will. So what's one of the weirder, lesser-known Whammo toys that you came across while researching? Well, it's hard to choose, but I, I think my favorite is probably Instant Fish. And, and this was an idea that Mellon came up with while he was on this research trip to Africa in the 1960s. <laughs> and I love that. Like, Mellon is like the toy world's answer to Willy Wonka, right? Like, isn't that how Wonka, like, supposedly found the Oompa Loompas? Yeah, you might be right about this. But in Mellon's case, all he found were killifish, which are these small breed of freshwater fish. And they actually lay their eggs in the mud before the start of Africa's dry season. And so then once the mud dries out, the eggs are just there and they're dormant until the rains come back. And that's when they begin to hatch. OK, so instant fish. I mean, it's kind of like sea monkeys, right? Exactly. So sea monkeys have been released a few years before this. And Mellon and Nur thought that you know, this small cube of mud containing these dormant killifish eggs would be more interesting than these microscopic brine shrimp. And so kids could simply drop the mud into a tank of water and wait for their new pets to hatch. And so for a while, it looked like Whammo had a hit on their hands. They were at the New York Toy Fair, and Melon and Nur took something like $10 million worth of pre-orders from retailers that were just hungry for these instant fish. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> no, that's insane. 
Well, they unfortunately hit a snag when they realized that the fish that they'd brought back from Africa weren't breeding fast enough to meet demand. And so Whamma was forced to refund all of these orders, and the dream of instant fish was suddenly dead. Ugh, and what a beautiful dream it was, but... <laughs> For my money, though, Whamma's weirdest offering was the Mr. Hootie Egg Rake. <laughs> this was something they released in the late 1950s. I mean, say what you will about the name Instant Fish. I mean, at least you know what you're getting. But did you say Mr. Hootie Egg Rake? I mean, none of this makes sense to me. What is this? Well, maybe this ad copy will help. It reads, fabulous. The only Wooger snatcher for eggs. Takes egg Woogers and bits of eggshell off the yolk quickly and neatly. But that's not all, Will. The Mr. Hootie Egg Rake also, quote, attacks onions, olives, and bar fruit in small jars without fear. So not only did that answer zero of my questions, <laughs> I now have several new ones. Like, first of all, what the heck is an egg wooger and why is a rake the best way to deal with it? <laughs> well, apparently woogers are what Melon called the stringy substance that connects the yolk to the eggshell. So, I don't know. For some reason, he thought people would be interested in a tool to remove that stuff. Oh, and to help rake olives out of little jars, too, I guess. But <laughs> I think it's safe to say it wasn't Whammo's biggest seller, yeah. Well, I think it's safe to say that no one bought that thing ever. I was actually just <laughs> pulling up the ad that you read earlier, and this Mr. Hootie guy is actually pretty terrifying. I, first of all, I don't know what those guys were thinking. Like, did they have a bet that year to see who could make the creepiest product or what? <laughs> no, but I checked out a book by Tim Walsh called the Whammo Superbook. And he says that Melon and Nur most likely drew up the concept as a joke just to make themselves laugh. Mm -hmm. But then they decided to just go ahead and actually release the thing because I don't know. Why not? I love that they were in a position to be able to do that. And, and I kind of love the spirit of these guys because they, I mean, they were brilliant in their own right, but they were also a couple of goofballs. I mean, Mr. Hootie Egg Rake. I mean, that's just <laughs> so bizarre, but you know, they embraced this inventiveness at every turn and they took these frequent big risks, you know, just for fun, for fun's sake. And it's really fun to be able to see them doing this. And so many other companies would have never even thought to try these things. And, I don't know, maybe most importantly, they were having just as much fun dreaming up these off-the-wall products as their customers were actually playing with them. Yeah, I mean, it was sad to dive into the research on this one and see how that approach to toy making eventually fell out of fashion, you know, in the wake of video games and other electronic toys in the 70s and 80s. There was a sense that Whammo's old-school products were a little past their prime by that point. Yeah. The country had moved on and found brighter, shinier, more expensive toys to play with, which is probably a big part of why Mellon and Nur eventually agreed to sell Whammo in 1982. It just wasn't fun anymore. Well, that's true. But, you know, the Whammo brand has pressed on in the years since then, regardless of this. And, and actually, this year, Whammo turns 80 years old. And the latest group of executives in charge of keeping the company afloat in this digital era, they're, they're trying to think of anything they can to help make Whammo seem younger. I mean, just, just listen to this description of Whammo's latest venture from an article in the LA Times. It says, Whammo is developing a Frisbee app that will essentially allow the disc to be thrown, quote, thrown from one mobile device to another. It says, all the gratification of backhanding a low slider to your buddy without any of that running into a tree messiness. <laughs> Well, I mean, not to be a toy snob or anything, but it doesn't sound like there's much gratification in something like that at all. I mean, 
so many of Wham-O's classic products were built on what I would maybe describe as a, I don't know, a pure notion of play. Mm-hmm. Like most of their toys have two things in common, right? They encourage people to move around outdoors and they're all pretty simple in design. A hoop, yeah. a disc, a ball. Those qualities together are probably another reason why Whammo toys have been more enduring than all the other fad toys that have come after them. And I'm sorry, a Frisbee app, that, it just has none of that appeal. <laughs> well, if it's any consolation, Gabe, Whammo is also gearing up to release some new physical toys, so that's a good thing. And, and for example, there's the Aquabo, which can shoot water balloons up to 150 yards. And apparently there's also going to be a big shakeup to the Frisbee design pretty soon, Gabe. What? That's okay. Uh, I'm a little, a little, uh, hesitant about this. Have, have they said what'll be different about it at all? Well, they've been pretty tight lipped about this, but the president did spill a few details in an LA Times article. And reportedly the new frisbee will be, quote, shaped more like a square and can thus self correct and fly longer and straighter than the saucer shaped disc. And, you know, for what it's worth, the company president also boasted it would, quote, change everything. <laughs> I'm sure that's true. Again, I, I think they might be getting away from that whole fun for fun sake idea. Yeah. You know, the one that made the early Whammo toys such evergreen products for all these decades later. Like the Frisbee was never meant to change everything. <laughs> but, you know, since it's a dependable source of fun that just about anybody can afford, it makes for a great toy anyway. And it always will. Right. Because something like a Super Ball won't stay a kid's favorite toy for very long. But it is one they can always return to for these quick bursts of simple fun. And, you know, to me, there's a special kind of staying power because it seems to tap into something primal and something universal, maybe. I mean, you know, no matter how old someone is, if you put them in a room with a Super Bowl, they're going to be entertained for at least a couple of minutes. <laughs> well, amen to that. And I think it might be time to admit that Mango never went to Mexico at all, did he, Will? You, you just locked <laughs> him in a room with a bunch of Super Bowls, right? <laughs> You know what, Gabe? I didn't lock anything. He can come out of there anytime he wants. <laughs> well, wherever he is, I don't think he's going to make it back in time for today's fact off. So, I mean, what do you say? Are you ready for a new challenger? Because I don't know. I'm kind of itching to try my hand at one of these. All right. But don't think I'm going to go easy on you just because he's a new guy. But I will let you go first. So you know those uh, little cozy coops, the cars that it seems like every toddler has? Yep. The little red cars with the yellow top? That's what I had as a kid. Well, many years later, Little Tyke sells in the neighborhood of half a million of those every year, which makes it the best-selling car in America. <laughs> that's pretty impressive. Half a million, that's actually a ton. That's That's pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah. Well, it won't come as a surprise to any of us that George Lucas has made a fortune off of the toys from the massive Star Wars empire. But how he did it may be actually even more impressive. So even though he was already a pretty big deal by the time he started work on the first of the Star Wars films, he had a strategy to this. He actually agreed to accept a salary of only $125,000 to work on the film. He could have actually asked for much, much more, but in doing so... He was actually able to keep the rights to direct the sequels and the rights to all the licensing, including toys. So, of course, all those sales made him several multiples of that salary difference in that very first film. That's so forward thinking on his part. Wow. Uh, well, OK, this is a quick one. The first toy ever advertised on TV, Mr. Potato Head back in 1952. 
1952. I didn't realize it had been around that long. That was, what was that? A few decades before he stopped smoking, I guess, right? That was, uh, I think it was in the late eighties. He decided <laughs> to give my up the Mr. pipe. Potato had ever smoked well. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No, this was a big deal. He gave up really? his pipe at some point as part of like the great American smoke out or something. And he became their, like, I think they called him their spoke spud or something like that. Oh, it wow. was, uh, it was pretty wild. All right. Well, I've got a pretty good quick fact too. Um, did you know that the world's largest distributor of toys is McDonald's? Oh, wow. I didn't, that, that makes a lot of sense though. Well, did you know that there are now travel companies, including one called Unagi Travel in Japan that lead tours for your stuffed animals? <laughs> yep. That's right. For 30 to a hundred dollars, somewhere in there. You can send your stuffed loved one on a pretty incredible journey. You'll get photos, which are uploaded to Facebook and lots of other fun updates. And I'll admit, at first I thought, why in the world would someone want to do this? But then I read that some are sent by kids who maybe aren't able to travel, you know, if they're in the hospital or for some other reason. Or sometimes they're sent just for education purposes. You know, I, I will admit that's actually a pretty nice idea when you say those are the the ways they could possibly do it. But all right, so did you know there are over 43 quintillion combinations on a Rubik's Cube? Oh, man. But the even crazier thing is that no matter what the combination is, there's a solution within 20 moves of that. Oh, not for me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, well, I remember you saying you were a fan of the He-Man cartoon when you were a kid. That's right. But did you know that the cartoon was not exactly planned, but apparently a marketing director at Mattel claimed in a meeting with some toy executives that a cartoon series was in the works, even though it wasn't. So, you know, they were kind of forced to make it. Wow, that is impressive. And and I can remember as a kid standing in my den with my sword in my hand, screaming, by the power of Grayskull. <laughs> so I guess I kind of owe a thank you to that marketing director for some high-quality animated entertainment. And Gabe, I have to admit it, you really delivered on that one in your very first fact-off from a full episode. So. I'm going to give you this week's fact off trophy. Oh, man, it is a true honor, Will. Thanks so much. <laughs> and thank all of you for listening. Mangesh will be back from his vacation and joining us in the next episode. Uh, if you have any great facts that we forgot to mention in this episode about toys, we'd love to hear those from you. You can email us parttimegenius at howstuffworks.com. You can also call us on our 24-7 fact hotline. That's 1-844-PT-GENIUS. Or hit us up on Facebook or Twitter. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks again for listening. Part-Time Genius is a production of How Stuff Works and wouldn't be possible without several brilliant people who do the important things we couldn't even begin to understand. Noel Brown made the theme song and does the mixy-mixy sound thing. <laughs> Gabe Luzier is our lead researcher with support from the research army, including Austin Thompson, Nolan Brown, and Lucas Adams. If you like what you heard, we hope you'll subscribe. And if you really, really like what you've heard, maybe you could leave a good review for us. Jason who?
If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists, like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.